Here we go. Okay, Romans chapter 5. We're going to be studying this morning verses 3 to 5. Let's, let's just draw near to the Lord. Lord, would you make the words that you caused the Apostle Paul to pen 2,000 years ago, may you cause them to be understood clearly, and may you cause them to have power in our hearts to inform us and strengthen us as you ordain trials for us to pass through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we're back in the book of Romans, chapter 5. We've been gone four weeks as Pastor Jerome has been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, but we're back today. And chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, have to do with the subject of exalting. Not exalting with an A, but exulting with a U. And what that word means is to rejoice greatly, or to rejoice triumphantly. It also sometimes has the meaning of to glory in something or to boast about something. And we know that that's one of the, the keys that ties this section together because it appears three times in these 11 verses. It comes up in verse 2 where Paul says, We exult in hope of the glory of God. It comes up in verse 3 where Paul says, We also exult in our tribulations. And it comes up in verse 11 where Paul says, We also exult in God. So there's three things that we are to greatly rejoice in. Hope, tribulations, and God. Now, in chapter 5, what the Apostle Paul is doing is he's showing us the blessings that flow out of our justified state. Remember with me, we spent a lot of time talking about justification, but let me just recap that really quickly so we're all on the same page. Uh, Justification is God crediting the righteousness of Christ to our account through faith alone. So we stand before God righteous in His sight because we're trusting in His Son. But what are the blessings that flow out of the Christian life when a person does trust in Christ alone? Once they have been justified through faith. Well, notice chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have. You see what he's doing? Now that we have been justified by faith, we have, and he starts to list the things that we have as a result of being justified. And he gives us three of them in verses 1 and 2. The first one is we have peace with God. The second one is we stand in grace. The third one is we have hope of the glory of God. Now, we have peace with God. Let's just remind ourselves all about that. If you now have peace with God, what does that tell you you used to have with God? War. (laughs) And if we're now friends of God, what does that tell us we used to be? enemies of God. So one of the fruits of justification is that there's peace. The white flag of peace has been raised. And we're no longer enemies. God has drawn us near and we're now friends. God is no longer against us. He was against us in wrath at one point, but now He is for us in love. We have peace with God. Secondly, we stand in grace. We don't flop around in grace, we stand like our feet are in concrete. We stand firm in grace. And as he says at the end of chapter 5, this grace exercised dominion in our life like a king. It reigns in the life of a believer. At one time we were under the dominion of sin, 
according to Romans 6.14, now we are under the dominion of grace. Grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, we've been justified, now we have peace with God. We've been justified, now we stand firm in His grace, which is an omnipotent power to bring us all the way into His eternal kingdom. And thirdly, we have hope of the glory of God. Now what did Paul mean when he said, because you've been justified, you have this hope. We, we use the word hope saying, you know, I, I hope I win the jackpot and I win the lottery and become a billionaire. You know, well, we got about a one in a billion chance of that happening, right? But in, in the Bible, hope is not some wishy-washy, uncertain desire. It's a, it's a confident expectation of something that's going to come in the future because God has promised it. And God has promised that believers will share in his glory. So we have this hope that we will share in the glory of God, that we'll participate in God's glory in heaven and on the new earth where all tears will be wiped away and sickness will be gone and we'll never die again. And this body will be glorified and we shall shine like the sun in the kingdom of our father. And we'll dwell with Christ and see him face to face on the new earth and we'll worship him and serve him together. We have this hope of the glory of God and it's a confident expectation. It's something we look forward to confidently. Well, that brings us to verse 3. And Paul says, another fruit of justification is that we rejoice in tribulations. Look at verse 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Notice he says, and not only this. Well, what's the this he's talking about? Go back to verse 2. We exult in hope of the glory of God. And not only do we rejoice in future glory to come, but we also rejoice right now as we face pain and suffering and trials and tribulations. I believe that's what Paul is getting at. Not only do we have this joy in what's going to happen in the future, but we even rejoice right now, even though we're going through the fire and the testing and the pain. Now, as we're going to go through verses 3 to 5, there's four links in a chain. Here are the four links. Tribulations, perseverance, proven character, and hope. Those are the four links. And one link leads to the next link, which leads to the next link, which leads to the next link. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking, sometimes the Bible sounds crazy. Because he says, rejoice in your tribulations. What's, so, why should, what's there to be happy about when I'm going through trials and I'm faith, experiencing pain and conflict and pressure and stress? Why should I be rejoicing about that? But what I want you to see is it's not just the Apostle Paul that talks this way. Jesus himself talked like that. Uh, in fact, Jerome has already covered it, but let's just remind ourselves. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verse 10, Jesus said, Blessed, which means happy. Happy are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Wait a minute. 
Rejoice and be glad when? When you're being persecuted, insulted, and being lied against. Why? Because in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And your reward in heaven is great. So not only does Paul talk like this, Jesus also talks like this. And not only does Paul and Jesus talk like this, James talks like that. <laughs> in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, let's look there for a minute. This is what James says, James 1, 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we've got a threefold witness here. They all confirm each other that this is God's will for you and me. When you face trials, God expects you, may I say it that strongly, he expects you to rejoice in them. That's what we're told here in these texts. And not only that, but we have the example of the apostles. In Acts 5, verses 40 and 41, they were whipped by the people of the Sanhedrin, and they went on their way rejoicing that they would counted worthy to suffer shame for Jesus' name. So it's not a pie-in-the-sky kind of a thing that, oh yeah, we should do that, but nobody is ever going to do it. They did it. <laughs> they were whipped, and they went on their way rejoicing. So, let's ask ourselves the question. This is all part of our intro, but just ask yourself this. <laughs> How do you respond when you encounter trials in your life? Just honestly, inside your head, just answer that question. When, when I face troubles and pressures and trials and afflictions, how do I normally respond to them? Do I grumble? Do I complain? Do I throw a pity party and say, woe is me? Why is God doing this to me? Do I stoically endure them? Like, I'll just grit and bear it and get through it? Well, all of those are substandard responses. God wants you to rejoice when that's happening. He doesn't want you to rejoice because of the pain that you're experiencing. He wants you to rejoice because of the effects that those trials are going to bring about in your life. And that's what we're going to see as we dig into this text. So let's look at the first link in the chain. Tribulations. Back in Romans 5, verse 3, Not only this, but we also exult or rejoice in our tribulations. Now the meaning of tribulations is to press or to hem in. This Greek word was used of squeezing olives to extract the oil from them or to squeezing grapes to get the juice out of them. So this is a word that has to do with experiencing pressure. Something is squeezing you. It's not comfortable. It's very uncomfortable to experience a tribulation. So it, by extension, this means anything in our life that brings pressure upon us. It can be physical pain. It can be illness. It could be conflict with your husband or your wife. It could be a conflict with your neighbor. It could be the pressure that's brought into your life by a rebellious child. Or the loss of a job. Or financial hardship. Just not being able to make ends meet from one paycheck to the next. Or persecution because you have told the truth about the gospel and people don't like it. Or maybe it's the loss of a loved one, a family member. These are all tribulations in our life. So it's, it's affliction, it's distress, it's trial. Anything bringing pressure or makes life harder for you. Another way to say it is anything that threatens your faith in the goodness, the power, and the wisdom of God. 
Let me say that again. Anything that threatens your faith in the goodness, wisdom, or power of God. That's a tribulation. And the word tribulation actually comes to us in English from a Latin word. And the Latin word is tribulum. T-R-I-B-U-L-U-M. A tribulum was a heavy piece of timber with spikes on the end. And they would use this tribulum for threshing corn or grain. They would draw it over the grain and it would separate the wheat from the chaff. So a tribulation is something designed by God to separate in our life the wheat from the chaff. God wants to get rid of the chaff in your life and he wants to make you pure wheat. And the instrument that he uses so often are tribulations, the trials. It's interesting that scientists believe that diamonds are formed from carbon deposits deep within the earth and that over many, many years with intense heat and intense pressure, the carbon crystallizes into diamonds and then volcanoes cause those diamonds to catapult to the surface of the earth where they can be found. You know, we're, we're just lumps of coal. We're carbon. God doesn't want us to stay Charcoal, he wants to make us into diamonds, and he uses intense heat and intense pressure to form us into those beautiful diamonds that reflect the glory of Christ. So trials are actually a very good thing. They're part of the all things in Romans 8.28 that he works together for good. Trials and tribulations are part of those things. We may not look like much now. We may look like black, sooty, lumps of coal, but eventually God is going to perfect us. Now, many times we look at tribulations as being sort of a, a strange thing. Like, in, in other words, if I was just in the center of God's will, certainly I wouldn't have to be going through this trial. Right? And I've been really striving to follow God, so I don't understand why these trials are in my life. We look at them as low. We're kind of surprised. We're shocked that they, they come into our life. Like, they shouldn't be there. This is abnormal. Well, I want you to see what the scripture says about trials. And we'll look at several texts quickly this morning. One of them our sister already quoted in John 16, 33. In this life, you will have tribulations, Jesus said. Just, just count on it. Bank on it. It's going to happen. Acts 14, 22. Through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Or, 1 Peter chapter 4. And this is the one that helps me. 1 Peter 4.12 Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now stop thinking these are strange, folks. The Bible tells you they're not strange. And we shouldn't be surprised by them. We should expect them. Right? These are to be expected because God, these are God's way of molding you into the image of His Son. Or look at 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. I remember as a young Christian hearing preachers on the radio and TV saying that if you're going through suffering, that is not the will of God. And then I read this verse in my Bible and I thought, who's right, that preacher or the Bible? <laughs> the Bible's right. Amen. Sufferings come to us according to the will of God. God ordains them for our lives, because He knows what is best for us. And God has a much higher purpose for you than your comfort in this world. 
It's much, much more important that he refines you and shapes you and forms you into the image of Christ than he allows you to have a trouble-free, comfortable life. Now, back in Romans 5, I want you to notice a word here. Verse 3 uses the word knowing. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing. Knowing. We know something. We understand something. You see, the the reason why we have this hope that won't disappoint is because we know something. God has communicated something objectively in his word about tribulations. So, the first thing I want you to see is, we need to use our minds when we come to the word of God, because that's how God is going to shape us into the image of Christ. You don't throw your mind out the window when you become a Christian. You use it for the glory of God. You sanctify your mind. So, we know something, and what we know is that God is going to use these tribulations to bring about perseverance, and that proven char- or perseverance will bring about proven character, and the proven character will result in hope that doesn't disappoint. Now let's go to the second link in the chain, which is perseverance. And tribulation brings about perseverance. The Greek word there is a compound word. It has um, a prefix, huper, and after it comes the verb mane, huper mane. The word mane means to remain, and huper means under. So this verb means to remain under. So the the Greek word he uses here for perseverance means the capacity to remain under difficult circumstances. It's the opposite of the person who squirms out from underneath the trial or who throws in the towel and says, I'm through if this is what it means to follow Jesus. I'm just not going to do it. He remains there. He perseveres under that difficult situation. He keeps trusting the Lord. He looks for God to be faithful. And eventually God brings him through that trial. He remains under it. Now, what does the Bible teach about this quality of perseverance? Let's take a look at a few texts that share with us God's view, the biblical view of perseverance. In 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 4, Paul's writing to the church of Thessalonica, and he says, this is 2 Thessalonians 1, 4, Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. So Paul says, hey, the churches are just, we're proud of you, because you guys are sticking in there. You're not squirming out. You're not throwing away your faith. You're persevering in the midst of these persecutions and afflictions, and we're proud of you. Or 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. Paul writes to Timothy and says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and godliness. So Paul's writing to Timothy. He calls Timothy a man of God. And he says, flee from these evil things and pursue. The word there means chase down. Chase down perseverance as being one of those qualities. So it's a a godly characteristic for the saints to persevere under trial. Paul says, we're proud of you when you do it. He tells Timothy here, you must do it. You're a man of God. That's what men of God do. They persevere. 
And then one other one, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Here, Peter is talking to the believers that are scattered abroad. And I'll just read it, starting in verse 5, chapter 1. He says, Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, and that word to make, it means to make every effort, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that tells me, number one, this is a quality that we are to pursue with all diligence, actively, not passively, we're to go after it. It also tells me that if we lack perseverance, we may be useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is essential that we take up this character quality and ask the Lord to build it into our hearts and lives. But how can a believer remain under perseverance or remain under tribulations? How can he persevere when things are hot? Like the three Hebrew youth are thrown into the fiery furnace. It's uncomfortable. It's difficult. It's painful being there. How can they keep going? I believe it's because we've already read Romans 5 2 that we stand in grace. The grace of God is continually being funneled into our hearts. I love the book Pilgrim's Progress, and I love a story in the book Pilgrim's Progress where Christian goes to the interpreter's house. And in the interpreter's house, he sees this vision of of a fireplace and this great fire roaring there in in the chimney. And the devil has all this water and he's pouring it on the fire, trying to pour the fire out. But the fire won't go out. And he keeps pouring more buckets of water and the fire just keeps raging. And he scratches his head and wonders, why is this happening? Until he goes around to the other side of the wall and he sees that the Holy Spirit is piping gasoline onto the fire just as fast as the devil's throwing the water on. (laughs) And that's exactly what the Spirit of God does. His grace is being funneled into our lives. That's how we can persevere. If it weren't for the Spirit of God and His grace in our lives, I probably would have quit a long time ago. Because it's, it's hard to be a Christian. Let's just face up to the facts. It's not easy to follow Christ. It's, it's a hard thing. But thank God for His grace in our lives. So, the first link, tribulations, lead to the second link, perseverance. If there's no tribulations, you don't have to persevere anything, right? But because God ordains these trials, we must persevere. But what does perseverance lead to? The third link. Paul says it leads to proven character. And here we have the goal. This was the word in the original that was used to describe metals that had been tested and had been approved because they are pure. In other words, the goldsmith or the silversmith would take the rough gold iron or gold ore or the silver ore and put them in the furnace and allow those, those minerals to melt. And when they do melt, the impurities rise to the surface and are on the top of that. 
and he would take his, his ladle, he would skim off the impurities, throw them away, and he would keep doing that until he could see his reflection in that gold or his reflection in that silver. And that's what God is doing in your life and my life. We're in the fire, and he's skimming the impurities out of our life. He's producing proven character. as we're, we're like the rough gold that's being heated up and melted so that God can skim off the things that he doesn't like from our lives. And what's left is gold that's been approved. It's been tested and found proven of, of proven character. Now, usually our tribulations are unexpected. Most tribulations in our life are just the daily irritations and annoyances and stresses that we all go through day after day. And I, I like to envision these daily tribulations as like God's pop quizzes. You know, you've been in school and the teacher says, we've got a pop quiz today. It means you didn't have a chance to prepare for this. You, you just, you're going to have to do the best you can because here comes the test. Well, that's what all these daily irritations are. God says, I'm going to throw a pop quiz. Let's see how you do. I'm going to give you this irritation today. How are you going to handle it? Now, number one, you can, you can give up and say, well, if that's what it means to follow Jesus, just forget it. I'm just, I'm out of here. You failed the test. Or you can feel sorry for yourself and start grumbling and complaining about the pop quiz and that you weren't ready and the teacher's not fair to throw it because he didn't give you a chance to read the book ahead of time. Okay, that's another way. Or you can endure that trial with a good attitude. Even rejoicing in the trial because you know God is up to something good in that trial. That's You, you, you pass with flying colors the pop quiz when you do it that way. You see, pressure is God's classroom. God's the teacher, pressure is his classroom, and he's teaching us every single day of our lives. Let me share with you these truths that perseverance leads to proven character. James 1.12 says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. See, we have the same elements again, trial and perseverance. Why? Because once he has been approved, there we have the same thing we found back in Romans 5, right? Proven character. Isn't this great? All these terms keep reoccurring. I'm going to start over. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trials, for once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Or 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Just a few pages over. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof, there's our word, of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter has in mind the same picture of this gold that's being purified. And it comes out of the fire proven that it's real gold. It's not fool's gold. It's real. Does your faith come forth from trials? And can you tell it's, it's real faith? This is the real thing. This is the faith of God in my life. I can tell it's genuine. It's not spurious, not counterfeit. Remember Genesis 22 when God came to Abraham and called him to offer up his son, the the son that he loved. Remember it says God tested Abraham. It was a test of faith for Abraham. And our trials are tests. 
Our faith is being proven through those tests, whether it is of the real kind or whether it is false. What is God's great purpose? Well, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, that very famous verse, Paul says that we know God causes all things to work together for good, including trials, to those who love God, to those who have been called according to His purpose. And in the very next verse, he tells us what those trials, what those all things end up doing. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. So here in verse 28, God causes all things, including these tribulations, to come into your life. Why? Because He's going to conform you into the image of His Son through them. So God has a plan. He has got a purpose for every thorn in your side. Every sickness, every pain you endure, every grief you experience, every suffering, every tear that you, that you weep, the Lord is doing something in that. Well, let's come to the final link in the chain. The final link is hope. And do you notice something when we come to that word hope? We're coming full circle. Because he already talked about hope in verse, was it verse 2 or 3? Two, he says, we exult in hope of the glory of God. So as soon as you're justified, you hope now in, in heaven, in glory, in the new earth. But as you go through trials and you persevere through the trials and you see proven character being developed in your life through the trials, that hope gets stronger and stronger. It goes from strength to strength. And what that does is it gives you stronger assurance of your faith. You see, assurance is being developed as God takes you through trials. That's one of his purposes. He wants you to have a sense of assurance of your salvation. And another purpose is that he's refining you and purifying you through the trials. So two very, very good, positive blessings are coming to us through trials. And that's the reason we're supposed to rejoice. Not, not that I'm, oh, I'm so happy I get to experience the suffering today. No, but I'm so happy because God's doing something in my suffering and he's going to perfect me and he's going to strengthen my faith and give me assurance of my salvation. Hallelujah. In Titus 1, 1, let me just read this to you. It says, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God. Or as the King James puts it, the faith of God's elect. Isn't that right, Eduardo? <laughs> Titus 1.1. 1, 1. There is a faith of those chosen of God. There is a faith of God's elect. And you, it's very important that we figure out if we have that kind of faith or not. Because James says there is a living faith and there's a dead faith. Do you have a dead faith or a living faith? Does your faith result in fruit, living fruit, like an apple on an apple tree? Or is it just dead faith? You make a profession, but there's nothing of, of the life of Christ coming through your life. So wouldn't you rather know before you die whether you had the right kind of faith or not? And, and if you did know that you had the right kind of faith, wouldn't that assure you and give you a sense of confidence in your relationship to God and a sense of joy to where you're headed? See, that's what Paul is telling us here. That's why trials come in, because God wants to assure you. 
He says here, hope does not disappoint. Now, if you hoped your whole life for something and never got it, your hope would be disappointed. But Paul says this hope that God gives will not disappoint. How do we know that this hope that we have will not disappoint us? Well, he tells us, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Now, Paul has already given us an argument to buttress our assurance of salvation. His argument was that once you persevere through trials and come up with proven character in your life, your hope is stronger. That's an argument. He's not giving us an argument now. He's giving us an experience. Mm, This is an experience. And this is an experience that every true child of God has. How do I know that? Because he says it like this. The love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Paul assumes that everyone he's writing to who has been born of God has had this experience that he's talking about. This isn't just for the super spiritual people in the church of Rome. This is for all God's people. So if you're a child of God, this is an experience that Paul would expect you to have. Now, when he talks about this love of God poured out within his heart, is he talking about his love for God or God's love for him? Have you ever wondered about that? I have. I believe that he's talking about God's love for him. And I believe that because of the context. The very next verse starts with the word for. That tells me he's not starting a new subject. He's continuing with the subject he's already on. And he's giving explanation of what he just said in verse 5. For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Now that says it clearly, explicitly there. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, this is the love of God for us. The Holy Spirit takes that love of God for us and He pours it out within our hearts. And that's another way that God adds assurance to your life that you're His. And that your hope will never disappoint you. Now, we need to also understand this. This experience that I'm talking about is not like, it's not like electricity. It's not this heavenly zap in the middle of the night where God wakes you up and makes you feel warm and fuzzy and loved. It's not like being hypnotized. It's not an out-of-body experience. It's not, the Holy Spirit's not a mood-altering drug of some kind. (laughs) What I'm trying to get at is that this love of God that the Holy Spirit pours out within your heart is mediated through the historical fact of Christ's death on the cross. In other words... God expects you to meditate and think about and study what Christ did when he died for you on that cross. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit takes that and he pours out, and he takes a bucket of love and he pours it out within your heart and you experience, you feel this love of God for you. But it's not in a vacuum. It's through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want to know that God loves you, don't look at your circumstances. And say, well, I don't have much money. I've got this illness I'm struggling with. 
I'm sad today. I'm struggling with depression. God must not love me. God has never said that the way I'm going to prove to you that I love you is through your circumstances. He said the way I'm going to prove that I love you is through sending my holy son to that gruesome, shameful cross and let him bear my wrath against your sin there. I'll prove my love there. So this is it's an experience of all God's people. Is God's love demonstrated in history so we can study it and think about it? Or is God's love experienced in our heart to give us assurance against our doubts? The answer is yes to both of those. <laughs> it's not an either or. It's both. It's experienced in history through the cross, and it's also experienced in your heart as the Spirit of God opens your eyes to see the glory of what Christ has done for you, and your heart is filled with wonder as you meditate on, I can't believe, Lord, that Jesus would do that for me. It's amazing, Lord. And next Sunday, we're going to really delve into this whole subject in verses 6 through 11, where Paul goes deep to show us the, the depth of the love of God and then the height of the love of God. Now, let's wrap all this up this morning. We've seen the four links of the chain. Tribulations, perseverance, proven character, and hope. The first conclusion I have is that rejoicing in your tribulations is a, a part of the normal Christian life. It's 98.6 degrees. It's normal. I, what I mean by that is that every Christian should expect that God would have them rejoice in tribulations. It's not for the super spiritual saints. Well, we'll let them do that rejoicing, and I'm just going to throw a pity party. You know, it's not like that. Uh, it's not for the spiritual Marines. You know, the, these guys that are just super on fire radical disciples. Maybe they can do that, but I'll never hope to be able to do that. This is for every Christian. Are you a Christian? Do you trust in Jesus? Do you love him? Have you repented of your sin and are you following Christ? Then the words that we've read today are for you today. It's for you today. God isn't commanding that we be masochists and enjoy the pain. God is commanding that we rejoice in what he is doing in our tribulations. And any one of us can do that. It doesn't matter how much I'm suffering because I can always train myself to think, okay, Lord, what are you doing here? You're up to something. I trust you, Lord. You are good. You have my holiness in mind. Lord, I rejoice because I see that you're making me into the image of your son. You see? You, you, can, you can lift yourself above the suffering if you'll train yourself to be biblically-minded believers. That's what Paul wants for you. That's what God wants for you. It's kind of like a woman in labor. How many women here have ever delivered a child? How many, <laughs> how many of you women who have delivered a child enjoyed the labor process? Is that fun? You just enjoyed going through that? <laughs> but even in the midst of that labor, when you remembered, oh yeah, in just a few hours... I'm going to have a precious baby in my arms. Weren't you able, in one sense, you're afflicted and you're suffering. In another sense, you can rejoice in what you know is coming. 
That's what Paul is telling the believers here. You're afflicted, you're suffering, but you can still rejoice in what God is doing. God is up to something. He's bringing something good to pass. Now, I want you to ask yourself this morning, what tribulations am I facing? What are mine? You're going to be tempted to doubt God's goodness, God's power, or God's wisdom when it comes to those Satan will bring that up to you. If God was so good, why would he allow this? Or if God's so powerful, why would he just change it? God's going to give you pop quizzes this week. And it's going to enable you to see if your faith is the faith of God's elect, if it's real, if it's genuine, it's like gold coming out of the fire, or whether it's not real faith at all. So, ask yourself, what am I going through today? And determined by the grace of God, you're going to rejoice, even in the midst of that. And then thirdly, let's just determine to do what Paul and James and Jesus and Peter all tell us to do. Let's, let's determine we're going to rejoice. We're not going to give in to self-pity. We're not going to grumble or complain. We're, we're not going to even stoically endure that. But we're going to train ourselves to start rejoicing. Because we're people of faith. We don't just look on what we see with these eyes. We look on what we can't see, but our spirit sees. We see God's word and we believe it. So my encouragement for you is to start praising God for increasing your assurance and sanctifying you through the very trials that he has you going through right now or he will have you go through this week. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd make your word live in our lives. We ask for grace, Lord, to obey your word. It's what you've commanded really seems otherworldly. We don't see this happening and and, and non-believers around us. But Lord, you've called us to be entirely different. Even You've given us of your Holy Spirit. You've separated us from the people of the world. You've de- made a, a line of demarcation, and we do have the life of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we pray that we would train ourselves actively, diligently, train ourselves to rejoice in tribulations. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.